Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Men in Red 97 podcast. It's that familiar voice you heard about a month ago. Alan, he's back from Italy. And today I am joined by several co-hosts slash friends, starting off with our usual of DJ. What, did you hear me? It it kind of cut short, but that's okay. Okay. Going right off to Tim. Hey, good to have you back. Yeah, me back. Yeah. And Alex. Ciao. Ciao. Come stai? I don't speak Italian. <laughs> Sounds Greek to me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is this is fantastic. But yes, I'm back. I returned from Italy and I hope that the winning streak that the fire were going on whilst I was not stateside will not stop abruptly because of my return. So, anyways, let's get right let's get right into it. And Alex, you had you were telling us before we started recording this an incredible experience you had being able to uh, be a part of a press conference with Chelsea boss Maurizio Pochettino, and you were able to ask him about a certain homegrown player of ours that now plays for his club. Yes, it was for for me. It was awesome because I've been a Chelsea fan since I was a very young child. So to be there and conversing with the Chelsea journalists who cover the team week in, week out was pretty cool. Um, but uh, when it was my turn to ask a question, yeah, of course I had to ask about Gaga Slonina, uh, the former Chicago Fire homegrown who made the jump one year ago today, approximately more or less, um, August 2nd of last year. So I don't know when exactly this is coming out, but it is funny how things work out that way. And uh, he had some high praise for him. He did say that he does want to see more of him before he really knows what his role is going to be this season. Um, but the club, he says the club believes in him. He has great talent. And uh, to quote him directly, he says that he can become one of the greatest goalkeepers in the world. So that's exactly what you want to hear from Pochettino, who as, is an excellent coach, as we know, great talent ID. And um, we'll see what happens if he goes on loan. Hopefully he plays against Dortmund and... Uh, gets back into the national team picture this fall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and me being a Spurs fan, you know, I'm also familiar with Maurizio Pochettino. He's magic, you know. And so, you know, good luck to him, you know, good luck to him and good luck, of course, to Gaga. And hopefully he does play against Dortmund. Um, so, of course... Are you, going to be covering the, are you going to be covering the game from the press box or just going as a fan, Alex? Uh, I'm going to be in the press box, hopefully. I mean, it's been a little bit all over the place the last couple of days trying to get everything sorted out but hopefully when you're listening to this i was in the press box <laughs> this is fantastic news nice fingers crossed for you yeah absolutely okay now well, let's get into the bulk of this episode which is covering this this fun little tournament that we've got going on for about the next month or so and that is the league's cup what is the league's cup of course it's that tournament comprising of 29 mls clubs 18 liga mekis clubs Groups made out of four regions. Uh, the group stage at this point is done and now begins the knockout stages, uh, beginning with the round of 32, which is single game elimination. And Jiggly, before the game against Puebla, was actually recording a video um, asking people about different, like a little quiz about the League's Cup as well as um, like fire in continental uh, uh, competition. And one question 
he asked was, you know, what are the rewards, which I didn't know, but personally, this is very interesting, is that uh, the winner of the third place match, there's going to be a third place match, will come qualify for CONCACAF Champions Cup. Both teams in the final, regardless who wins, will make it, and the actual winner will directly qualify for the round of 16 uh, for the Champions Cup. So, very very interesting uh, qualification. So, even, even if you make it into the final but not win, you still make it into the the Champions Cup, which I did not know that. And I also I also like the idea of the actual trophy, the way that like no that you can flip it both ways depending on what uh league the team is one from that wins. So like one side it has like uh stars and the maple leaf for MLS and the other side it has uh this design that can't really I, I I can't remember what it looks like, but it's supposed to be for the Liga Mekis team. So it's very it's very oh, interesting. I didn't realize it was meant to be a reversible trophy. I mean, yeah, I obviously it the design like on the on the promotional videos and stuff. I didn't realize that. That's actually really cool. Yeah, they're both sides are theoretically um like the, like the same size inside and out, and they're both supposed to weigh the same. So I, I just think that for the final, if they ever have to do a coin toss, instead of doing a coin toss, they should just flip the cup and like see which end it lands up. <laughs> I but, like that. Yeah. I mean, in addition to the qualifying for the like the sporting um prize, you know, of qualifying for CONCACAF Champions Cup, there's also apparently very substantial monetary prizes, both for like the winning team as well as like direct rewards to uh to players for, for winning in the competition. So you know, I think that both leagues, like the League's Cup as an organization, you know, comprised of the League at Mechis teams and the MLS clubs are trying to make sure that players and coaches take it seriously. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I mean, this isn't supposed to be another, you know, tournament that no one's supposed to care about, um, of course. And that's not the case, as we've seen from the attendance at the Chicago Fire Puebla game. There were a lot of people that came out for that game on a Monday night in Bridgeview. I believe the attendance was somewhere around 12,000 people, somewhere around that number. So that's pretty decent, I think, for Monday. And I'm definitely, definitely sure we're going to see a lot more uh, this upcoming Friday against Club America. So, but let's quickly backtrack a bit. A little blast back to the past for the two games that led up to the Fires uh, knockout game. And that the first one is against Minnesota United. And it ended in a Fire victory, 3-2. to two. I'm not going to lie. So, when Minnesota scored that second goal, I figured, yep, game's over. So I just went and laid down, just had the game on. It's like, okay, I'm going to go to sleep. And then all of a sudden, I just see the fire score again. I'm like, oh, we're actually now doing this, aren't we? Yeah, because the fire went down twice and came back twice, which I don't believe has happened in any competition this season. Nope. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and so that I thought was kind of, I mean, good to see. Like, you know, normally you you kind of think that if, if the fire... Um, kind of can see late that that will probably be it. And I mean, 73rd minute, which is when the Minnesota scored their second goal, isn't super late, but it just, it was starting to feel like maybe one of those nights. Yeah. And also, fun fact with the win, this is the first road victory against Minnesota in franchise history across all competitions. True. Didn't think and of nobody that. got sent off. No fire player got sent off. Yeah. There, there have been a lot of red cards throughout League's Cup. Yeah. There have been, as we have seen uh, in the second Including, game. Is this, a good, is this a good segue? 
We're going to keep on no, talking I mean, about the Minnesota game. Well, I mean, if there's anything else we want to mention about you the know, Minnesota game. and I, mean, I, thought I think it was, it was an incredible game. I think we should talk a little more about it. Like, I Mauricio mean, Pineda. I, first of all, Pineda, also, he didn't even start the game. This is a guy who comes in. And he, I believe he was playing in the middle when he came in, right? Which I've spoken to him the last couple months. It's pretty clear center back is his preferred position. He can play both. He's capable of playing center back and center mid. But to come into a game as a central midfielder is very, very, as a defensive midfielder is very, very difficult. And he not only came in, but he set up the winning goal. And look at Ezra Hendrickson's time as head coach. With all due respect to Ezra, one thing that the fire could not do is battle against adversity. They could not do that. If a second half goal was scored on you, you had no answers. Last year, because in part, there was no options on the bench. This year, there were options on the bench. So Klopas did have that, that he could turn to Kai Kamara, that he could turn to Mauricio Pineda as guys to bring into the game, as Yurios Kutsias as a guy to bring into the game. But the fact that they were able to dig in, fight back, and ultimately get the win that's really impressive, especially because Minnesota at home is a really tricky place to play. And yes, they haven't had their best season, but Reynoso is back. Reynoso is firing at all cylinders, and they have Timu Puki, who also is scoring goals. So this is a much better Minnesota team than the one that the Fire played earlier in the year. And the Fire still managed to go into Minnesota, win, and do so in such a dramatic way. Yeah, you are right about you know Reynoso having... You know, him being back, he definitely had a good game. Pookie, though, I don't think he had his best game. Um, no, he got a 5.9 rating, according to SofaScore. But yeah. it, I think it's more, of a, it's more of a testament to the to the fire that they were able to contain him. Rafa Shijos, um, Carlos Teran started the game. Uh, Miguel Navarro was excellent. It, it's more of, a, in my opinion, it's less about Pookie playing poorly and more that he was completely marked out of the game. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I thought, I mean, obviously, Bongo with the two goals, you know, you really can't complain about that. Like, he had a strong performance as well. And I mean, Hassani Dotson, I thought, you know, didn't have the game of his life, but I mean, he looked dangerous at points and the fire were able to contain him pretty effectively. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was a solid all-around performance. And I mean, talk about like every form of adversity. After the fire go up, um, the game was rained out for, I can't remember how long, like maybe about half hour. Yeah. I think that was one of the best possible things that could have happened because, oh, yeah. because the way I saw it, um, the game was back. It was going back and forth. Goals were going in on both ends. And it was really, really frantic. And yes, the fire have gotten better at it over the last couple months, but there have been so many times in the last year and a half where they maybe score a late goal and then don't have enough time to bunker in, so to speak, to set up their defense properly to actually defend that lead that they weren't really expecting to actually get or that late equalizer or whatever it may be. So yeah, that's definitely- that, that equalizer, not, not the equalizer, the uh, rain delay, excuse me, weather delay, um, that took every single piece of momentum out of the game. It sucked every last bit of life out of the match. And it gave Frank Klopas 45 minutes to set up his back line and firmly defend those final moments instead of what we've seen with this team in the past, which was like, oh, shoot, we have three strikers in, 
two attacking midfielders and one center back. How are we going to deal with this? And the other team just scores again. That's what would happen under Ezra. That didn't have to happen this time. Alan, go ahead. No, amen. I say to that. And um, of course, other than that, like one last minute chance that Minnesota had, which featured a really great Spencer Ritchie save. um, You're right. That's a moment where the fire defense really bunkered down. And that's something we've definitely haven't seen. That has been a big problem, like you said, under Ezra. Like even when the fire would answer back, it would be almost immediately or just like humiliation last minute, you know, and I, in it's something that's definitely frustrating, especially I mean, look, at that, look at that Columbus game right before the international break, for instance, Shakira scores in the 88th, 89th minute. And then because the fire were going all out attack, pushing for that goal and they had no time to set up their defense. Suddenly the midfield and defense is all over the place, which he's off his line and uh, Lucas around scores from halfway. That doesn't happen if you have 45 minutes to prepare for, for setting that up, you know? It's true. At, yeah. least, at least we don't have to worry about Zellerayan anymore because he's gone. He, he's yeah. gone. He's off to Saudi Arabia. I do feel like it also needs to be said the last goal was kind of controversial. There was some controversy, but I, yeah, let's I mean, be real. Well, so Kai Kamara is in the air. His, his boot makes contact with... Um, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to remember the Minnesota player... Um, you know, he does make contact with his face. He's, you know, he's bleeding after that. There's no malicious intent there. Like, like literally it's his foot and he's not looking back at his foot when he's trying to score off a header, you know, it was ruled as a, as a natural position. So there was no foul there. And, um, I think a lot of the folks in Minnesota actually came to that conclusion too. It was, yeah. Yeah. And they also, I mean, they know, like a lot of the like long term fans there know Kai and know that he's not the kind of guy that would just do that. I mean, how about his celebration? Can we talk about that? What? How can we forget? What celebration? Kai's celebration against Minnesota. Oh my God, that was so funny. That I didn't great. get to see that. Okay, Alex, do you want to describe it? All right. So, pretty much, Kai scores the goal. He. He's pretty much just jogs to the sideline. It's not a crazy celebration or anything. And he just jogs over to the Minnesota fans. And this one fan sticks his phone out and tries to take a selfie with him. And then this little girl who's probably like, I don't know, early teens or maybe like 10. I don't know. I don't remember exactly. Takes a photo with him. Her dad like stands there for like a full eight to 10 seconds to making sure the photo is good and everything. And then Kamara walks away. and. Um, he gets a little talking to from the referee, says, don't go touching the fans or whatever. But um, what I'm sad, and what I'm sad about is we never got the photo. Like, I, want, I, want, the, I want the actual photo of Kai and the fans. I put out a tweet trying to find it. If anybody is from Minnesota and knows who these people are, please tell us, because I want the photo. But ugh, we need that content. Amen. I say to that. That was that was absolutely hilarious. You know, like your last, like last goal in the last ten minutes, and our players are taking are taking pictures with your fans. That's yeah. That's just well, that's yeah. like, again. That's the thing that Kai Kamara. He wasn't good there. He played in no. Minnesota. If I recall correctly, he scored one goal in the entire season. 
yeah, was one it? year, and I think it was just one goal. Was that during? Um, wasn't that during 2022? 2020, 2020 yeah. 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 So, um, a couple of so that was Ozman did not start, which um did surprise me a little bit, just given that we kind of had some defensive midfield shortages. Um, Fabi got the start. I thought he looked, you know, pretty decent. Didn't last the full 90. Um, but Jairo Torres, I can't remember his previous start before that. Um, I don't know. It, it looked... He started against Portland. Oh, yeah, that's right. He did. Um, I mean, I, I may be jinxing myself saying this, but it looks like he is starting to kind of be a little bit faster on the ball, like a little bit more athletic with some of the runs that he's making. Um, Here's the thing with Hyro, right? The last couple of games, now that he's getting healthy, fully healthy, he's blossoming into an average replacement level MLS bench player. Like, with all due respect to Hyro, he's a DP. Like, he's significantly better than he was last season. And that's still not even close to what he should be. If this was a U22 player, maybe, or like a guy you're paying 300, 400,000 a year for, I'd be very happy with what we're seeing from Hyro right now. Right? He's actually improved. He's actually shown that he actually has a role to play in this team and can be a useful player in a vacuum, not as a DP. Sure, but I mean, he can't control that that he's got a DP contract, right? And Mm -hmm. I think that from a fire perspective, to some extent, it's like we're, I mean, with Chris Mueller out with the season-ending injury, we're short on the left wing. I mean, like, luckily we've got Guti who can play there, but Guti can't be playing there and a 10 at the same time. So if he's starting at the 10, someone's got to be on the left wing. And it's good to have an average MLS-level player playing alongside him, which we wouldn't have if, if Hiro was playing like the way that he was last year. So it's like, is it enough? No. Was it a bad signing? I mean, so far, yes. I mean, we're, what, like halfway through his, his contract? And because um, it was a three-year deal, right? Um, so about halfway through his contract. And yeah, I mean, he's not living up to it. Um, but I mean, he can't control that. And it's better to have a player you can use in some minutes than to not have a player you can use in some minutes. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's Definitely. possible we might do the same thing with Hyro as we did with Gaston in the sense of keeping him but reducing him from a DP? I don't think so. Unless, unless this offseason sees a dramatic shift in how the MLS rules work, which is possible because of Miami, um, sure. I, I would be shocked if he was still like a TAM player. He's probably stuck on that DP contract either until someone else buys him, which I also, which I really don't see happening, or his contract is up, which is a tricky his contract, contract fire to be in. But what can yeah. you do? Uh, I wonder yeah, if end of year twenty twenty five. I wonder if they mutual if they can try and convince him to mutually like go. Depending on who the new general manager is, I think what's more likely is he goes to the only realistic way I see him getting out of that DP slot is going to Lugano. I I do not, I cannot see any feasible way unless he really explodes into the player that he had the potential to be when he was a teenager because 
he don't get me wrong, he was a high potential player. He was getting into the Mexican national team very, very briefly. Um, unless he really becomes that player that people thought he was going to be, the only way I see the fire getting him out of a DP slot is him and Lugano under the current MLS rules. Or buyout, right? You get the one buyout and it can be a DP. But yeah. the fire, I mean, have been very hesitant to use it for, for whatever reason. I think because technically they're still on the roster. Like they still count against salary cap, don't they? Because that's I know that's why, like with Cronholm, if I remember correctly. Back. I'd have to fact check yeah. that, but I do not think you I, get the DP slot. I believe that you now do as of this year, and it no longer there used to be a date limit for the salary relief, but I'm not a thousand percent on that. There are too many crazy rules that I just can't follow along. <laughs> it's so hard. So the team can buy a player out, and um, and then you do get that you do get the roster spot back as well as the designated player position. Fair enough. I stand corrected. Um, now, I mean, you can if the team comes to a settlement with Hyro, so that's not the buyout. It's technically a different mechanism if you've already used your buyout, then. They could get Hyro off the roster, but he would still occupy the DP slot. So that's used for like issues if there's like, um, I don't know. It turns out that a player on your roster is saying racist things and you need him gone, kind of thing. Hmm. Speaking of uh, people being problematic and saying problematic things, y'all heard about Bruce Arena? I don't know what happened there, so I'm not going to comment on that until I know more details because that is very recent news, like as yeah. of a couple of hours ago. It happened like, yeah, a few hours ago. I, I saw it on the MLS page. Yeah. yeah. So, so just to, just to, you know, for anyone that hasn't heard, Bruce Arena has been suspended from team activities um, basically because there have been allegations of things that he said that would have been inappropriate, and we don't have more details than that. Um, because I, I, feel, I feel that if it was actually a racist remark or something, it would have been the statement would have been worded differently. But we'll I see. think that you're probably right about that. I also assume that there are things other than the normal things that Bruce Serena says that are inappropriate just because he's from Jersey. I thought that was kind of accepted with, within the league at this point. So uh, we don't have any more details. And I mean, apparently the players were informed a couple of days ago. Um, and he hasn't been kind of with the team since. So, so we'll see what happens. But as of right now, I'm not going to comment any further. No comments. All right. And do we have any final remarks about Minnesota before we move on to SeatGeek? Yes. We forgot the one most important thing. Oh, boy. Shakiri does indeed have him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So, oh, How could we forget? Uh, Dane St. Clair, for some reason, decides that this is going to be the moment that how how old is he now? He's he's not be, that old. Yeah, he's like 22, 23, uh, 26. Okay, he's older than I thought. So, OK, at 26, he decides that this is going to be the, the time and the place that he proves to the entire world with TV camera on, cameras on him that he is a man. And he does that by challenging Zirna Chikiri of all people, a person who like. Literally, I mean, came as close as you can get to starting a war in a soccer match, and he's challenging him to head games before a penalty kick. Like, I don't know what's going through Dane St. Clair's head there. Like, you're going to lose. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> um, and I'm surprised that Shakiri didn't do a double eagle. Apparently, he has learned something, but 
Um, yeah, they're they're both visibly going at it, and uh, um, just like you know, with like head motions and talking to each other. And uh, Dame St. Clair either lost the head game or just can't save a penalty because Shakiri scored. That was a hey, shout so out funny. to uh, shout out to Stefan Zvezda legend Milan Borjan, Canada's best goalkeeper. <laughs> wow. I oh, ow, that is the that is the hardest thing you can possibly. Say. Maybe that's what Shakiri said to get into his head. Yeah, uh, I don't think I don't think Shakiri likes me like Has Borjan. any idea who Borjan is? No. <laughs> no, no, I don't think he likes. No, <laughs> he's, he's, he's talking about a guy that plays in Serbia in favorable terms. Yeah, probably not. Anywho. This is why Shakiri and Pano and Pano could never work together. This is why I really hope that going back to the Revs that they don't end up um, selling their their goalkeeper in the next couple of weeks because apparently he's very upset that he's sticking around, but. As long as we're playing New England late in the season and they have a Serbian goaltender, I feel a lot happier about the fire's chances at any point. <laughs> Did you not know how much Gary was cooking against New England this year? Like, my goodness. Yeah, I mean, that's why. Like, teams, teams that have a Serbian defensive midfielder or goaltender, I mean, you're just getting Shakiri in beast mode. And who doesn't love Shakiri in beast mode? That was an incredible moment. And for me, it was kind of like, it's like that one meme of like these ladies in the restaurant, one of them's yelling and pointing and, and the other image is the cat just sitting there. That, that was the that was the image that I had from that from that altercation. But that was so funny. And I'm glad Shakiri converted that. And if Adnan, if Adnan uh, is listening to the pod right now, I will once again say to you, eat him a fire. Moving on to Puebla. So... Um, this was very much a game where the fire knew all they had to do was not lose by three goals. And if this very much, if this Puebla is apparently, or apparently they're not a good team. Like they've been struggling in Liga Amekis for like several years now. And if, in my opinion, if this wasn't Puebla, if this was a better side, we would have seen something very similar to Houston in the Open Cup in terms of, you know, because I, I, I felt there were moments of what I referred to as the horseshoe where the players will, it will literally just go through the wings and the the center backs just back and forth trying to not really going down the middle. And it, it was a bit frustrating at times. And in my opinion, the thing that was probably the most frustrating on the pitch was the fact that we could not get a counterattack started for 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 the love of everything that is holy and then some. Like there is, we had several moments where we would regain the ball in our defensive end, and immediately you could see players booking it and moving for it, and then just an unclear through ball or just immediately getting dispossessed. And it was done. It happened several times that near the end, um, it was like there was, it happened again. And I was just like, I'm not even surprised at this point. And of course there was a, there was a, there were several WTF moments of the ball literally being like centimeters away from going in. For the like, <laughs> we should have at least had, I think, three goals, maybe even four. 
but it was at season high at across all comps. Well, actually, I'm not sure about the house game. I didn't check that one on um, the U.S. Open Cup, but um, between the League's Cup and MLS League play, the the season high for shots for the Fire this season at 21. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I've been asking the Fire to shoot more, and apparently my wish has been granted. Um, and nine shots were on target. So to be honest, they were doing that part of the game. Um, it's just the other parts that I, yeah, weren't overly impressive. I think this is just speculation. I'd have to look into it a bit further. But I wonder if Bridgeview actually poses a slight problem to the, a slight disadvantage, to the, not slight disadvantage, so to speak, but more levels the playing field because Soldier Field is narrower. I wondered that. I mean, because I've talked to people at the team who believe that the fire, one of the strengths of the team is the ability to play wide. And I mean, I think a lot of the time you could sort of see how that would be the case because Marin Haile Selassie has obviously been having a pretty good first season in MLS. If you've got Shakiri or Guti at the 10, they can get the balls wide effectively. Um, to be honest, I'm not sure if we can play wide is a secret way of saying we don't have a good striker. Um, so we have to. We, we're not going to score on you centrally, so we have to score on you wide. But, you know, they've said that's the case. I asked if they thought it was a concern that Soldier Field was narrow, especially because the team doesn't practice on a Soldier Field-sized pitch, and I didn't get an answer. I, I think it is interesting to see how the I mean the team does seem to play differently at Bridgeview. I mean, like if you want to look at if you want to just talk about the dimensions of the field, just to put I mean this is a ridiculous thing to talk about, like it's not worth a full discussion. Um, but Azteca is more similar to the dimensions of Bridgeview than the Fires home stadium is. So if we're talking about the actual field dimensions, in the next game America will actually like have it closer to what they're used to. But uh, maybe, Although, again, the fire, maybe it's not that big of a difference. All the practice pitches that the fire practice on, you know, the other like six days a week or whatever, when they're not playing a game, are the same size as Bridgeview, which is the yep. same size as Azteca. So, um, so there is that. Yeah, I think Azteca is actually slightly wider. I'd have to get the oh, exact number on it, but I think okay. it has a relatively wide field. But um, Puebla, uh, going back to the Puebla game, that was a really interesting game because for 70, 75 minutes, pretty much nothing happened. And that's not insignificant because against Minnesota, for the first whatever 65 minutes, absolutely nothing happened either. So it seems to me that the way the fire are setting up right now it's pretty conducive to not much is going to happen for the first hour. And the action is going to occur later in the game because you're going to maybe bring some fresh legs off the bench, open up a little bit, go for it. But for the first 60 minutes, it's fairly conservative, fairly laid back, not taking too many big chances. Like the first, the first moment that really got the crowd going was well first Guti getting subbed on like that roar was the loudest roar of the night up until that point was when they announced Guti was coming into the game um 
and then moments Which later, by the way, great, I mean, great to see because it was it was people that were wearing yeah. Pueblo jerseys as well as Fire jerseys. Like the people that were Pueblo fans, they were there to see Pueblo, but they were. I mean, they also know about the fire. Well, what was what was crazy about it? Just what made it so jarring in my head was they first announced Jonathan Dean and almost nobody made a noise. They announced Scooty, the whole stadium erupted, and they announced Shabilko, and it was a very, very faint noise. So just the noise was next, me. <laughs> next to the two players, it was just so jarring that the 20-year-old local kid got the whole stadium on his feet. He scores with the first touch. It gets called back. You can debate it all you want. I I don't know. I didn't get the best view of it in real time did you did uh, you feel like did you feel like there was var at that game because i had several people ask me if there was var in the league's cup there there was var i know i I was standing right by the var booth i was like game like two plus out like right when i got there like two hours before two hours before they walked out the referees were like at the VAR booth, like for a solid amount of time, like they were playing with, they were testing it out. They could have gone to VAR if they wanted to. They made a very conscious decision not to go to VAR for some reason. Yeah, it, I thought it was interesting. I mean, like I, I, you know, I, I was chatting with a friend like while at the game, and literally, I, I was asked, "Is there VAR?" And I shot a photo of the VAR booth that was like six feet from my face, and I was like, "Yes." They're just not using it. So, I actually have a weird thought. I am fully of the idea that Klobos went into Minnesota saying we can afford to lose this so long as we beat Puebla. Or Puebla. And then they won the game. And then he was like, oh, well, that didn't go to plan. And so, they came to this game like, okay, I guess we can rest. Hence why it took so long, because they didn't start Shakiri. They didn't start really. Shakiri did start. Shakiri started. Or no, I meant against Minnesota. Oh, against Minnesota, yeah. Yeah. They I was, start, yeah, I was yeah. thinking the same thing though, going into the Minnesota game. Yeah. I was thinking like Minnesota away is a place you're probably not gonna get any result. Realistic like I believe they lost three zero there last season, last time they went there. So yeah. I think realistically coming into that, Puebla is there for the taking. But honestly, going into the game, I was thinking this game doesn't actually matter that much because even if you, even if you come, even if you do well, you're probably not going to do well enough to actually win and top the group. So prioritize just getting through and you'll probably play Club America at home either way because they'll probably win that group. Now ended up being that for the other way around yeah Yeah. the other way around but i think you went into with the assumption that even if you come second you probably still get a home game in the next round because it's probably gonna be america in the other group so i I thought the priority was on the playable game but then you went in minnesota and um (laughs) it wasn't a full lineup against puebla either that's what was so odd there were so many people that switched you know from being on the bench to starting I mean, we saw, is this the first game that we saw Marin starting on the left wing? Uh, uh, no. Okay. So, I mean, you know, we've got, you know, Marin typically is on the right wing, started on the left. We had Shakiri go the full 90, um, which that's another thing, at least with the group stage, 
I mean, and I guess it's still going to be a concern going forward with the competition, but like one of the things when you know that penalty kicks are a possibility is when you're subbing people, like deciding who starts versus gets subbed on, you want people on the pitch that you want to take your penalties if that comes to it. So that's why I think it made sense in the Minnesota game not to start Shakiri. But, you know, Shakiri started, I assumed he'd be subbed off. He goes the full 90, which I don't know if that's the best choice for the game on Friday. I have an assumption is, um, well, it was nil-nil in the 60th minute. And I don't know if they were aware of the score in the other game, that Columbus were actually racking up goals on America, that Columbus were 2-1 up, 3-1 up, and then eventually 4-1 up on America. Because if you lose this Puebla game, and Puebla were playing fairly well, and the crowd was fairly strong, it was 50-50. I think there was the thought that, shoot, the worst case scenario, other than like getting knocked out, the next worst thing that could happen is you finish second in the group and crew beat America, so you have to go away in the next round to the crew. That was the next worst possible thing that could have happened after being eliminated. And suddenly, it's the second half. Maybe you would typically, maybe you're thinking of pulling out Shakiri at this point, uh, originally, hoping you'd either be up a goal or it'd be 3-0 Medica by that point, so it didn't really matter that much uh, whether you finished first or second. But knowing that you need to win, that you need to at least tie this game. You cannot lose Otherwise, it's crew away and your tournament's likely over. Uh, I think you keep Shakiri in and it pays off because, yes, there was a deflection, but he created that by himself. He drew that foul with his own movement and he put the ball into a dangerous position in the box and it just so happened to go into the goal. Yeah. I just want to say, because me being in the supporter section, I was behind the goal when I, I saw the deflection, I thought it was gonna go, it was gonna go wide, and I'm pretty sure that ball was trickling in for like three seconds. That's like how I was like, oh my, and I just saw it just slide into the back of the net, and I was like, yay! And it's just the timing of the goals as well, because um, Puebla scored their goal in the 74th minute, and to the section to the left of like to where the supporters are, where where a lot of Puebla fans were also congregating. Some of them tried to sit in the supporter section. Our supporter liaison was like, "No, y'all can't be here." And um, one of the ladies like turned there and she was like showing one zero with her hand, with her hands. So when when it was one one, I went and I was I was like I, I went to her and I just went one one. <laughs> You can't. So one of, one of those fingers is centrally located. For those of you not uh, not watching this with us, they they were fun though. I will say this: the Puebla fans they they actually were fun. Um, like in terms of like banter, there was like one moment where a few fire fans and one Puebla fan uh, got into like a very small altercation, but it was like quickly it was quickly dissipated. And for the most part, it was very fun. And also, anytime um, they would start tried to get a Puebla chant going in, I would just start yelling penis. Um, it was very much the best best game I've ever <laughs> played so, in terms of that. So Alan, you're part of the reason that they played that music um, every time there was a free kick 
uh, or a goal <laughs> kick, right? <laughs> I didn't. Mm. Yeah, you're you're yelling words they don't want on TV. What I did want to add though is um, everyone from Puebla was really awesome uh, to us. Like the, the, they were they were great. All the folks I interacted with from Puebla, they mm-hmm. actually gave me a Puebla jersey free of charge, oh, wow. complimentary as a gift. Which uh, it was it was it was a really cool thing. Um, yeah, they, they were they were great. They were really really cheery, even though their club is in a pretty chaotic state right now. I mean, they're seventeenth out of eighteen teams in Liga MX. The, their coach is likely about to get fired. Um, he's he may have been. I fired mean, they 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 played three. They played three matches, and like two of the matches, one is against Tigres and one is against America. Like it's Liga not like it's Liga MX. It's cutthroat. Um, yeah. So, c- considering the situation their club was in, their fans, uh, the folks from their club who were at the game, everyone was really nice. So, uh, shout out to Puebla for that. Yeah, and good vibes from the fans too. I mean, because like sometimes you know, with like Liga MX fans, um, things can feel heated when like there's matches here, and this this didn't have that vibe. Um, you know, before, during, or after the match. Um, yeah, no. It, it, didn't like, have to buy during the completely pointless penalty kicks, which I think we should talk about for a minute before, <laughs> before we move on. We Maybe. saw 19 completely pointless penalty kicks. You know, I need to uh, go out on the record and say that match day minus one, they had a media day. And I was sitting there with Joe Chats in the, when we were waiting for media people to come out and we could talk to Frank Klopas and all that. And I, Tim, I was actually editing your preview while we were talking, while we were conversing. I was, I was going through your preview and getting it ready uh, for publication. And I was reading your thing about the penalty shootout. And I, was talk- I said, hey, Joe, like, <laughs> Joe from Arius, uh, not Arius Sportsnet, on Tap Sportsnet. And I said, it's possible this goes to penalties and has absolutely no meaning. I, and he said, then who takes the penalties? And I said, let Chris Brady just take a penalty. 100%. He Why has not? to be the first. He let Chris to Brady take the penalty. It doesn't matter. It's for vibes. And Chris Brady took a penalty, but not the way we thought he was going to. It was the 10th no. penalty. And he said he like buried it top bin. So shout out for that. Well, I mean, because when, when goalies practice, right, like they're like, it's normally the goalies are off on their own for at least part of the practice. And like, they're taking penalty shot after penalty shot on another goalie. Like strikers don't take the most penalty shots on a team. It's the goalies over the course of like sure. the season and practicing. I, yeah, once and saw, re- I once saw Carlos Tehran practicing free kicks before training started. And I was confused. I was I was very confused. Why the heck is Carlos Tehran practicing free kicks? He's literally is never, he ever, ever going to get one when Shakiri, Guti, uh, Marin, uh, Gaston are there. There's no way he's ever going to take any set piece. And uh, he stepped up for his penalty. I'm not going to lie. I didn't know what to... I don't know what to expect when Carlos Tehran is taking a penalty given what we know about his passing ability. But no, he had the best penalty of the night. In my opinion, man buried it. I mean, when he the guy can the guy can hit a ball, the guy can throw a ball, and the guy can guy can hit a ball. Like, not necessarily with I, I don't I'm not to be a hundred percent honest, a thousand percent sure that landed exactly where he thought it was going to land, but he still buried it. So 
I love how throughout the entire penalty shootout, Brady was just staring down the ref. I, I just true. love that. Yeah. Like, yeah, he got a yellow, but let's be real. Brady was everybody after that Gucci goal was disallowed. No, I mean, yeah, absolutely. That was, it was just frustrating moment on both ends. So, um, Arrive. By the way, we had an opposite of uh, what we saw in 2022 at the Open Cup game versus Union Omaha, where um, in that game, Rafael Chihos buried both of his pins and um, three missed his. Oh, all th- well, sorry, in two afterwards, one during the game. Or sorry, other way around, right? One during, yes. one during the shootout, two in the game. Yes. Right, correct. And Casper Shabilko missed his penalty kick after the game. And she um, joins an incredibly, incredibly exclusive club of people to miss two penalties in the same shootout. How many times in the history of the sport has that happened? Because it requires an unbelievably specific set of circumstances. Not that it yeah, matters. Like, like, not, nothing against Shehos. Like, He's still one of the best pen takers at the club. He still probably should be the pen taker when Shakiri's not on the field. But those two in the shootout just, just weren't his best. I was just hoping that one player for either team would try back healing one or something like that. Like, just come on. Like, it's completely... When else are you going to have a completely pointless penalty shootout in what's theoretically a meaningful game? Like, never. It's not going to come up. And yeah, Jonathan Dean didn't get to take a penalty, by the way, because yeah, yeah, we were down to 10. Yeah. Because apparently, if there's a red card, there has to be the same amount of penalty takers. And I don't think Dean realized that either, and the referee said, you have to start over. So, so that actually, and the, and the reason why, it, it's supposed to be an advantage to the team that had the extra man, because then theoretically, like if you had like a center back, or someone that you thought wasn't good at penalties that got the red, they would then have, you know... And if they got to the 11th round, you would get to go back to your main guy. Right. You'd have, like, your best striker take the penalty again versus the other team where you have the guy that you least want to be taking the penalty. Probably their goalkeeper. Yeah. Um, who did bury the penalty, so... <laughs> what do we know about this? Great penalties. Yeah. I find it funny find it weird though that Camaro was not in the game at all. Like he wasn't even on the bench. Do yeah, you know I don't know what's about that? that. But there's not an official word on that as of recording. They're um, not issuing I've seen for a lot of no. a lot of clubs. Thursday, I will hopefully have an answer for you. I don't know if this is out, but if this is up, if you're listening to this on Thursday afternoon or later, go to my Twitter. Hopefully, I will have an answer for you. Any final comments before we move on to who we'll be facing on Friday? No, actually, wait, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask a quiz question because I was the one that wrote the quiz questions for the question that Jiggly was asking. Two fire players played for both the fire and Puebla. One of them also played for the fire's next opponent. Can you name that player? Guatemala Blanco. It's Blanco. Correct. And the other one who also played for Puebla is Demarcus Beasley. Correct. All right. We uh we stumped Adnan with those, by the way. I I obviously knew Blanco played for America and Puebla, but Beasley. It took me a second to remember. Now now that I think about it, I remember him playing for Puebla like 2014, around there yeah. 2013. But 
it didn't come to me right away. Yeah, yeah. I mean, kind of got to give props to him, like that him and like Landon Donovan for being like US M&T players from that generation that like went to play in Mexican teams. Like that takes a certain amount of intestinal fortitude, and like they, they did it, man. And Beasley did it in, in like not too far removed from his prime. Donovan yeah, did it when he was because like, he, he went back to Houston after that too. Yes, he went to Houston for like five years after that. So yeah, enough. all right, but. Club America, who will we be facing up uh, this Friday, is the most successful club in Liga MX because they have 13 championship titles. Uh, in their two previous games in the League's Cup, they had a win of 4-0 against St. Louis, and then they lost 4-1 against Columbus Crew, which means they are second in their group, and that is why we will be facing them. And I did see a tweet that was shared on the Fire Facebook page of three previous meetings between the Fire and America, and all of them have been uh, America wins uh, all by one goal. So it was uh, America two to one. You're sleeping on something, though. What am I sleeping on? What you're sleeping on is the fact that Frank Klopas has unfinished business with Club America. He does. That's true. Because in the 2015 CONCACAF Champions League final, for those who do not remember, Frank Klopas's Montreal Impact in an unbelievably heroic and dramatic campaign reached the final to face America. First leg was at the, the Big O in Montreal. And Montreal did the hard part. They, they, uh, they, they no, first leg was in uh, Azteca, excuse me. They Azteca, got a point. They, they got a point at the Azteca. It was one to one, if I recall correctly. Was it two two or one one? It was. Um, I think it was a higher score than that. Let me. Um... But either way, the second leg was at the Big O. The so aggregate was, was the aggregate was three to five, right? Yeah, I don't know. I'm the, trying to remember. The second okay. leg was at the Stade Olympique, and America won four to two. Mm. Yeah. And Frank Klopas was not at that match. No, because he got a red card. Yes. <laughs> so Frank has unfinished business with Club America. And this is his opportunity to finally avenge the 2015 CONCACAF Champions League final heartbreak that pretty much marked the end of his managerial career other than these interim jobs he's had with the fire. That also, that 2015 campaign was not the first time that he played a game in, uh, or coached a game against Club America. Yeah. When was the other one? 2013. I think Sergio McDonald, that was the last game he played for Sergio McDonald, if I remember correctly. And he scored in that game in second half stoppage time. I remember yeah. that goal. It was a really weirdly dumb goal. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. Uh, it's been a while since I've seen it. Yeah, the the fire lost two to three um, against Club America in Ridgeview. Um, Club America had two penalties and scored on both, and that was basically the difference maker. Uh, Ted Uncle was the referee in that match. If if you would like a reason to not like Ted Uncle, <laughs> we need more. Oh, that's my point. Yeah. <laughs> But that's not the Club America they're facing today. The Club America they're facing is, I mean, I don't know, Alex. Like, I don't know how you feel about them. 
on one hand, they are probably the most like stacked team in the hemisphere, and they have. I mean, they're, they're, they're probably the best on paper in the Americas. I mean, like them some, I mean, in in like the, I mean, in the like North America, at least not, in North America, for certain, America and Tigres are the two best teams in the region, and it's. I don't think it's. I think those two are like right. At the top, a hundred percent. Yeah, America just lost four one to Columbus, so I don't know how to feel about them. Well, I mean, they were playing a rotated squad, and also their manager. I mean, their manager is so new that, like, I don't think he knows where the men's room is at the training facility yet. Like, yeah, he's only he, had like four or five games. Right. He. I mean, he. He's like he became. He was named the manager in the middle of June, so it's been like six weeks. The league's cup has been going on for a couple of weeks. Like, he's very very new and the reason that he's such a new manager is that they haven't been happy with the past couple managers they've had because they haven't won things so they were very very stupid to fire fernando ortiz in my opinion like he's he's a good coach i think he did well with them they came up just short in a very bizarre game against chivas in the Klaus era playoffs like i i thought ortiz would at least get stick around but i think he resigned if I'm not mistaken, he, he basically he, he, was, he basically to resign. Yeah, he he basically said that he was done, and so that could have been internal friction, which again says things about a club as big as they are and as famous as they are, not really having everything together. When you've got a manager that's as talented as he is, that is just basically saying he said in the press conference after their last game of the the last season, basically that he thought it was a project that he was done with, and. Um, Monterey's like because Chino had got them pretty far. Like he had, I believe, I don't know, was it first or second in the regular season, and then they ended up losing a real, like I said, a really bizarre game to Chivas in the semifinal of Liga. And I think that's one of those things. Like a a Mexico national team manager can't lose to like the U.S. men's national team too often. And a Club America manager can't lose to Chivas too often. Like, it's you know what's just- funny about that, though? You know what's funny about it? They'd played each other three, to- uh, three times, and America had won all three. Um, uh, had won the first two, I mean, excuse me. Um, so, yes, Chivas won in dramatic fashion the second leg. America won the first leg. And in the regular season, I don't remember the exact score. I think it ended up being like 4-1 or something. But America blew Chivas out in the regular season. I know. But, I mean, like, losing the Ligia, I think it's just one of those things where, again, like, it, I, I think that it's almost like the thing that people say about, like, why the Toronto Maple Leafs will never win another Stanley Cup is because their fans aren't patient enough to tolerate ever actually having a rebuild. So you end up just, like, changing parts that you can to look like you're changing parts. There's also that conspiracy theory that the the head of the NHL, Gary Bettman, is adamant on not letting any Canadian team win this Lord Stanley. So he'll do anything to prevent that. So I just want to put I'm that in. With, as as you should. But no, but I mean, I agree with you, Alex. Like, Mandor <laughs> Gary is, is a really talented manager. And I think that he was hired by Monterey like 16 nanoseconds after he left America. Literally. Literally. And and I mean Monterey are by the way also sitting in a pre- fairly pretty position 
um, in the League's Cup, and I think they're going to be doing things in their Liga Mekke season. I think I think those are the real contenders for me. I think the champion is going to be um, Tigres or Rayados. I think it's going to be one of those. Well, and they my... play like they, assuming they both win. It's that Tigres play Vancouver and Monterey plays Portland. I think in the next. That's round. what I'm saying. I think whoever gets out of that part of the bracket is going to go all the way. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that you're probably right about that. Um, but in the fires part of the bracket, there's Club America. And so like, they are a team that is in kind of a state of transition, as weird as that is to say, considering the talent they've got. They have, um, like, okay, I'm just going to run through some of the names they have off the top of my head. Because even if you don't follow Liga Mekis, I follow it a little bit. Tim follows it a little bit. Even if you don't follow it at all, there are some of these guys you're going to know. Like, for example, Alejandro Zendejas from the U.S. men's national team. He doesn't start every game uh, the last couple of weeks because he's also been dealing with some stuff. But um, he's there. He scores a lot of goals for them recently. Henry Martin is there. Mexican national team starting striker. He's an absolute beast. Uh, he's, been, he's been going crazy the last three, four seasons. Then um, there's Quinones, who... Maybe he doesn't play international soccer, so you might not be as familiar with him, but he's a really, really dangerous wide player that they have. Um, who else is there? Israel Reyes. Jonathan, Jonathan Dos Santos, who is Jonathan familiar to MLS. Yes, I mean, he's, he's getting up there in years a little bit, but still a very good player. And then, you know, uh, Fidalgo, uh, the Spanish player, is there as well, who they signed from, I want to say, Real Madrid. Or he was at Real Madrid at some point. So they have a lot. This is an unbelievably stacked, talented team. Uh, they pretty much have, like, in MLS terms, like eight or ten DPs. That's what that's what St. Louis's coach said afterwards. And I mean, in, in a way, like, coach said they have eleven DPs, which is not accurate. It's probably like eight or ten, but still. I mean, but like when you look at like transfer fees they may have paid and stuff like that. The fact is, you sure. couldn't when if you're starting defensive midfielder like if, if you're doing a double pivot and one of your two guys is out you're not going to be playing the same game in mls because that guy's injured the mm. thing is america has the kind of squad where they are deep enough where they can take that loss and still play their game not that the second guy is going to be as good as the first or anything like that they can still keep the same game plan and that just is something that mls squads don't it's a luxury we don't have i mean Nestor arujo like that's another guy that like I mean, he doesn't start every game. He, st- he doesn't start. He doesn't like, start every game because they have Mexican national team starting center back Israel Reyes and then Uruguay international Sebastian Caceres as well. So it's those three guys. They don't need to start every single game. And Nestor, yeah. I mean, he would be like one of the most expensive center backs in this league and a definite starter if he was starting on an MLS team. I mean, Kevin Alvarez, the right back, could never play in MLS because he would be too expensive for an MLS team to invest in a fullback for that much money. Exactly. And, and by the way, for what it's worth, you could probably have America's squad for what Miami is paying Messi, give or take. So, yes, I mean, they, they're, I think their whole squad's value is roughly like 40, 50 million a year. It, I think it may be higher in like under, like the numbers that don't show up right away. But compared to MLS, compared to MLS metrics, it's absolutely ridiculous how much that America Tigres and Rayados 
pay their players. Yeah. I mean, but those are the four teams in the league that do that. Like the MLS teams, I think, thoroughly outspend most of the rest of the league. True. Or, I mean, some MLS teams do. Like, I'm not saying... Yeah, like, like Fern Fer- Luis and Mazatlan are not outspending MLS teams. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, honestly, I'm not a thousand percent sure what to expect from the way that um, Jardine's going to like play the squad, play a squad. I mean, because he used to manage um, San Luis before he was signed to, um, before he signed with Club America, which he was the guy that managed Brazil to that uh, 2020 World Cup, or sorry, uh, Olympics uh, gold medal. And I think that that's basically like his, his claim to fame, sort of like the way that Pano won the U17 World Cup and like he's somehow managed parlay that into oh sorry yeah you're right um but he's parlayed that into like continually failing up um but it the san luis teams that he had i i mean i watched them a little bit it seemed like they mostly were like not as possession based as you would think like they were sort of like a mid-block team who try to win on counters i i just can't see him really being that happy with playing a team like club america that way i don't know um, I mean, it, it looked like they were playing a mid-block against Columbus. Like, I wouldn't watch most of that game today, and that seemed to be what his game plan was. I, I don't know if that's... Again, like, he's like... That was his fifth game as manager of this team, so I don't know what to expect. To finish off this segment, do you guys want to give some score predictions? Are we going ahead? Are we not? How how bad do you guys think it could be, or how good do you think it might be? DJ, you have your hands in the air like you just don't care. I am not saying anything because I have no clue. You have no clue. I don't know a thing. I'm I too mean, drunk to think. I mean, like 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 mentioned earlier, since they kind of dropped the ball against Columbus, I also don't know too much what to think. You know, because they beat St. Louis, who you know, by league by league standings are one of the better teams, and then they lost to Columbus. So it's like Ohio really turned them around. So I, I also don't really have much to say. Did Zellerion play in that no. game? Okay. So they lost to a Zellerionless Columbus crew. That's even worse. I mean... I think that it's fair to say Columbus may have the like best coach in the league at this point. Yeah, in my opinion. Um, they don't. They don't have Klobos. I'll give my I, prediction. I mean, probably not the best vibes coach. So, what's your prediction, Alex? My prediction. I think it's going to be a really weird game. I do think it's going to be a bit feisty, potentially on and off the field. I don't know what to expect with a full bridge view. I don't know if they're prepared for that. We'll see. Fingers crossed. But I think the fire will win. Because these, these are the kinds of games that Frank Klopas lives for. Look at his managerial career. And in my opinion, his managerial career is culminating in this season. This is his revenge tour. This is, <laughs> this is it. This is Frank Klopas. This is his Eros tours. This is Frank Klopas going out to do something and 
even further cement his legacy with the Chicago Fire. Um, he might get, he's going to get at least a yellow card. At least one. <laughs> but the Fire will win three to two and it will be very dramatic. I think it'll be a very close game. At, it'll be by one goal. Maybe. So I know this is single elimination. Is it going to be same as the group stage where it goes straight to pens or will there be extra time? I believe just straight to pens, but I'd have straight to confirm to that. Yeah, yeah, straight, straight to pens. pens. Straight to pens. If anything, it might go down to pens, but I think it's going to be very close. Very close. And yeah, it will be heated because this is Frankie Klopas' time for revenge. I'm I'm just gonna say three to one. I, I don't think when you look at what happened to America and Columbus, once they bend, they break, and they don't really seem to be able to do anything other than that. And we've seen that from them a couple of years at this point, where there isn't really the psychological resilience that you'd expect because they're a team that expects to be winning all the time. And that's still their identity. And so when they don't, I think when the railroad gets off the tracks, it's just a derailment happens. And oh, Guti's gonna score, by the way. Oh, yeah. I so that's the other thing to say. Like, when, like, I know that there's a certain feeling that, like, after the game against Pueblo, where the fire didn't really look that good and didn't look like they had that coherent of an identity, we'd never really seen those players in those places for the fire. And it was sort of like half of a starting 11 and half of not. And we saw that with both leagues' cup matches. Klobos is going for this. Like, he knows what these games are. He knows what they mean. He makes the squad know what they mean. Like, there's going to be no question about who the 11 is, and it's going to be the best players that Klopas thinks he's got available. Amen. I will say my dream, my absolute dream occurrence, 1-0, Chris Brady keeps a clean sheet, last second goal, Guti crosses it in, and Pineda heads it home. Yes, that is my dream. Because uh-uh. I want... Oh so f- I I know I'm a Pineda lover, but full honesty, he has been the MVP so far in the least cup to me, and it's not even close. The only other guy that I think would become kind of close is Shakiri, and even then, it's like I'd still go with Pineda. Like he he has done really well so far, and he is he really deserves to be like in the discussion for one of the better players so far in the last few weeks. Okay, he's been awesome. Yeah. So he, has, he really has rejuvenated since he's started getting actual minutes again under Klopas. At center back. Klo- yeah. Klopas just thing. knows how to play people, which, hey. Do you, do you think part of that is asking people where they want to play and playing them there? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. It'd be so he's weird if that's how it works. In their best positions. It's almost like you say, look, Shakiri, um, we're going to look at this game. And we're going to say, this game better suits you in the middle, and this game might suit you on the right. This moment in the match might suit you on this spot on the field. We want Guti in the 10. Whereas, uh, under the previous coach this season, it was Shakiri will be the 10 when he is on the field. Absolutely, under all circumstances, Shakiri will be the 10. Right? Yeah. So, 100%. No, Shakiri, like, I-, I felt like there was like a some kind of like a hypersonic sound that went off when he started going too wide on the pitch. And Guti couldn't get too central. Otherwise, the same thing happened. And so players knew where to be. And now, like, you'll see them and, like, they will just 
play like Guti will work his way in the middle and Shakiri will go wide and vice versa. And it works when they're both on the pitch because that's when it works. That is something Klopas always does is, hey, where do you want to play? I will make it happen if you work with me. So, DJ, do you want to lead our, our question of the day before we finish off? Absolutely not. <clears throat> question of the day. With Fire facing off against Club America years after Fire had a partnership with them, what are some unrealistic and weird partnerships you'd really want to see the Fire have with international clubs? For like personal reasons or any random reason you can think of. So like if we could have like another sister club like Lugano, what would it be? Or sister like- club slash partner. Like, because the Fire used to have a partnership with Club America. I forget what exactly it was, but I think it was like tied directly to the friendlies mm-hmm. or something like that. Or like they would train certain players and everything. Interesting. So, so I'm going to say something and then you guys can just ignore it or hate it and we can move on. I, I think that we should really, I, I, I'm going to sound like Jiggly on this, but I think that South America has gotten wise to MLS and they hear that like, well, like this guy was sold for $5 million a year league, so we want at least five and a half. And a lot of MLS teams are overpaying for players from, like it started with Argentina, now it's like Argentina, Brazil, increasing like Paraguay, like Uruguay is getting in on the action. And like that is becoming a very mined place for MLS talent. So I think there's a lot of good value and opportunities if you look in Asia. So I think we can come up with a good partnership with like a J League team. That would be fantastic for the fire because the fire, have- the fire. Sorry, what? Isn't there a K League team called the Fire? Oh man, uh... I should know that. Uh, it's like there is a good. there is a team in Argentina that plays in a place called Nueva Chicago. But well, I was gonna say maybe like a developmental partnership. Which would be wise would be Envigado in Colombia. That's where the fire got both Carlos Teran and John Duran from. And it's also in the last couple of years been one of the top developmental clubs in South America. They've also produced guys like Camilo Rodriguez and a few others. So if you want to get like first dibs on every player that comes out of Envigado, because we've been successful in the Colombian market before, that's like a, a sleeper pick. Also, AEK Athens because of Frank Klopas. <laughs> oh, nice. Because he played mm-hmm. there for a while. Yep. Yep. Or just resurrect the Chicago Sting and have him play there. <laughs> Alan? My unrealistic kind of partnership would be, um, in, for me, it would be with, and uh, personally, I would like to see my favorite Polish team, Lech Poznań, but Honestly, I could see any like extra classa or like Polish first division team because I feel like I would love to see just more like investment of Polish people or like Polish players in Chicago. You know, this the city that has more Polish people than the capital of Warsaw itself. And especially in the early days of the fire, there were a ton of Polish players. So I, I'd like to see a, a return of that and, you know, maybe get a few you know, younger Polish players in and see them even rise up to like the Polish national team because I feel like that's what some a lot of Polish fans, including me, would like to see here. So like yeah, 
Like, That'd be cool. Like, I, mean, I-, I think kind of cool would be like if, like, even like the Fire Two just like started playing like a friendly every year against a Polish reserve team that came over. Yeah, I mean, that could be, cool, be wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like people would. I'm pretty sure if any, I'm pretty sure any Polish team that came here, whether it's like Legia or Jagiellonia or um, Lech, for example, I feel like Polish people would go to see it. You know, I'd, I'd be down, especially if, if it was Lech. But yeah, no, I feel like... I feel like... You can jack up the price of the two tickets for uh, a game like that from, from $0. Yeah, I, I, just, I would just personally like to see more, like a Polish connection. To Chicago, you know, a very Polish I, city. Frankowski, yeah, since Frankie yeah, left. No. Yeah, and and like literally yeah, right when Frankowski left was when he really started to make more of an appearance for the Polish national team. So he's crazy now. He's no, yeah. he's insane. <laughs> I mean, he just signed a new contract, uh, long term, as well. So yeah, by the way, like this year. He's going to be playing Champions League with an actually good team from a decent league. It's not like he's playing Champions League for Ferenc Varos or something. He's playing Champions League for a team from Ligue 1. Good on and, one of, and he's a bit like rocket starter, basically. Yeah, he is, he is, he's he is, he is pretty much, he is yeah. pretty much a starter for the Polish national team right now. So I mean, like, more than just the fire, like... The, like MLS in general should start using him as a poster kid because MLS started developing players in academies and selling them for big money to Europe. But we didn't really get like guys that were entering their prime, developing them a little bit or just like have giving them space to play and then selling them on to top five leagues. Like he is one of the first players that is an example of doing that. And there are so many players where if you say like, look, look what this guy did. We can do that for you. Come here, sign with us. And it's a huge recruitment tool. I just want more Polish in Chicago. Like <laughs> I look at Charlotte with with Świderski and Juzwiak, and I'm a low key jelly, honestly, because those are also two Polish players that are very much like entering their prime as well. So I'd love to, I, I would I'll love to see that. Enjoy it while it lasts, because they both play on turf every match. Then that is true. God bless them. Any any other final remarks before we finish this off? Yes, Mr. DJ? I mean, I haven't said anything yet. <laughs> oh, I thought you did. No. Oh, sorry. Whoops. Um, I actually have several. <laughs> All right. I would love to see a partnership with, um, I believe it's FC Rostov in the second Bundesliga, I think, right now. Because they're from Mecklenburg, and my ancestry is from Mecklenburg. Mm-hmm. And they're like the only major team in the entire uh, province. I want Maccabi Tel Aviv because that's just great because I have an excuse to go over <laughs> to look at all the archaeology now. I would Didn't, also you play for them for a year. Who? Borsinia. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Have him be the ambassador. <laughs> uh, Sydney FC, just because we need some love down under. Kaiser Chiefs, and again with Club America. We need to get that back. I would love that back. Well, let's see how Friday goes before we're uh, signing yeah. friendship agreements with him. I don't care. I just want that back because I want an excuse to be able to just buy more Club America balls. Because <laughs> that literally, the first soccer ball I ever bought was, I think, because of that, because of uh, Club America having the partnership. They came up for a friendly, and somebody just bought a ball there. 
And they just left it at Goodwill one day. I was like, oh, hey, cool. Hackerball. Fantastic. <laughs> All right. Any other outstanding comments or remarks before we finish up? I'm Austin's good really at his job. <laughs> I'm also excited. <laughs> I'm so excited for Friday. I'm, like, I'm yeah. literally, literally the biggest club in North America is playing in Bridgeview. Like just, just appreciate that for a moment because this isn't a friendly where some random European team is coming and playing in Chicago. This is the biggest team in North America playing a meaningful game. This is a star-studded team playing a meaningful game here in Chicago against the Fire, and the Fire have a chance to to make history. Really, I mean, love that. Like, if you go to a random like grocery store in the city limits of Chicago, you will find someone exactly. wearing a Club America jersey, like consistently. Like, if you if you drive from the city of Chicago out to Bridgeview and you have to go through the entire Southwest Side to get there, you'll see America flags, hats, banners. And Chivas as well, but just as much, if not more, America, all throughout that part of the city. Like I don't. My neighbors is a Club America fan. Exactly. Yeah, like no, like they're they're everywhere. Like like they're everywhere in the city. So it's a huge opportunity. I don't think people are fully appreciating enough how big of an opportunity this is for the fire to win over a lot of new fans and introduce themselves to the fan base, which in the city is probably the biggest team fan base in the city. I mean, like there have to be like. if you go to like bars that like I have a friend that's Mexican American, he's a Club America fan. He sits next to me at a lot of home games for the fire. Like he is going to be showing up in a Club America Jersey cause he's a fan, but he's come to fire games and there will be more people that can be converted to fire games. Once they see the quality of play, once they see the atmosphere. Um, but I mean, it is like, it's the biggest team in the region. There will be millions of people watching this game. Millions for that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to this episode. And we hope to make another one afterwards uh, to continue on with our League Cup quest. So thank you, DJ, Tim, Alex, for joining on this episode. As always, and thank check- you, Austin. Oh, and thank you, Austin. Uh, thank for you, Austin. Editing. Thank you, Austin, for, for putting for- up with all of us. Amen, I say to that. And of course, as always, if you haven't checked out Men in Red 97, M-I-R 97 on social media, website meninred97.com. And as always, come on you Men in Red. (laughs) 